In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda. And Cinda brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org. But Cinda doesn't only bring you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. We also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial artificial intelligence, digital transitions and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because you can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or any major podcast platform. Now, I invite you to connect with me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. And when you send me a mail, let me know what you want to hear about. Now, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, today I've been really looking forward to today's interview because it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be a lot to, we're going to learn a lot. And um, most of my guests know that I'm located in Europe, but as, growing up as a child, I grew up in Rhode Island. And it was a Sunday tradition. Every Sunday, my dad would get up in the morning and go get a dozen Dunkin' Donuts. Now, we had these rules. We could each pick one kind for ourselves, and the rest were a surprise mix when he came home. So now my brother would always pick the jelly stick because he had the illusion that was bigger. And my mother always had the chocolate glaze, although I really think she actually got two picks because every week came a chocolate glaze and a Bavarian cream. And my favorite was the mysterious butternut. Now... As a child, this would just happen every Sunday morning, and I thought this Dunkin' Donuts was just our Dunkin' Donuts on the corner, and I didn't realize it was a brand. I didn't realize it was a franchise. I, I really didn't know anything about it. It was just the donut shop, and then one day, we took a trip. We were driving to Disney World, and we drove through New Jersey and New York, and I saw other Dunkin' Donuts. And I couldn't believe it. I said, wow, there's more than one. Now, 40 years later, living in Germany, I see them in Berlin, Munich, Essen. um, And when I'm in the U.S., not far from my home in Bartlett, New Hampshire, I always see a line of at least 13 cars at the drive-thru every morning. And today, we're going to talk to the person who made Dunkin' Donuts possible. Our guest today is Robert Rosenberg, and he served as the chief executive officer of Dunkin' Donuts from 1963 until his retirement in 1998. Now, under his leadership, the company grew from a regional family business to one of America's best-known and loved brands. Rosenberg received his MBA from Harvard Business School, and just a few weeks after graduating, and he was only 25, he assumed the position of chief executive officer. After retiring from Duncan, as is called today, Rosenberg taught in the graduate school at Babson and served many years on the boards of directors of other leading food service companies, including Domino's Pizza and Sonic Restaurants. And he's just published a new book called Around the Corner to Around the World. And this is on Amazon. It was released on October 13th. Now, Rosenberg took 
this company from 100 shops and $10 million in sales when he first became CEO to 6,500 outlets, including Baskin-Robbins ice cream shops and nearly $2.5 billion in sales the year he retired. And we're very, very, very happy to have him join us from his home in Martha's Vineyard, and I am in Dusseldorf, and that really shows how small the world is. Robert, welcome. Thank you, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to be here with you and with your audience, and I can't tell you how warming that story was of you and your family. I I, I can't over and over again as I travel and as I've gone through, I've heard that story told immeasurable times about the impact that the brand had on people's early memories, their early family memories. And uh, your brother's a wise man because a jelly stick is my favorite donut of choice. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he picked well. Uh, um, yeah. But it, it's, it's a wonderful story, and it warms my heart. And uh, yeah. thank you for relating it. Well, you know, when I'm reading your book, Robert, I mean, let's just um, – can you tell our audience uh, – yeah, the book is amazing, and I – I didn't realize that, you know, um, I'm from that New England neck of the wood, that, um, you know, that's where this all happened. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, your dad and, and the, you know, how, how Dunkin' Donuts started? Oh, I, I love to tell that story. <laughs> uh, it's, it really is a story about the role that chance plays in our lives and in our business lives as well as our personal lives. And in, and in this case, uh, the, the role that second and third chances play and, and how important they really are and the importance of persistence. It all started back after the Second World War. My dad started in the industrial feeding business. He was an eighth grade educated guy, but he was really very effective at building root trucks for ice creams, roots. And, and after the war, he had gone to work uh, as a partner in a small business called Industrial Lunch and Service that had these Meals on Wheels, these trucks that went around to football games and construction sites and small office sites where people would leave their, their workspace and come out and stand and get coffee hand and, and we had sandwiches and coffee. And my father uh, brought in his brother-in-law as his partner back in the mid-40s. And that business started to run into a little bit of trouble. As vending machines started to come on the scene, it started to put a dent in this business. And they had built up six depots around New England. They had a commissary where they were making foodstuffs and baked goods. And it was a big operation. And it was starting to hurt. And in a, in a very um, serendipitous moment, the guy that headed up the bakery said, you know, I used to work around the corner for the Puritan uh, Donut Shop Company. And they had 12, 13 trucks. And we made more money out of our one donut shop, our retail donut shop, than we made out of all the trucks. So the two partners said, my goodness, that might be just the solution we need to keep our dream of business success alive. And so it wasn't long before they then took a location on the Southern Artery in Quincy, Massachusetts. That's a road that connects Boston to Cape Cod. And for $75 a month, they they rented this little um, awning shop, well, a closed awning shop, fully covered over, stuccoed, a very modest building. And they started in 1948 a little business called um, the Open Kettle. And in it, they, they put in donuts and coffee, and the best they could find. Um, my father had friends that were bakers from the shipyard in, in Four River uh, during the war, and they were running the store on a day-to-day basis. But lo and behold, it was a huge disappointment. It was doing no more than $1,500 a week, probably no different than all the other thousand donut shops that were open in Massachusetts at the time. And if matters weren't to make it worse, it was rumored that the guy across the street, a guy by the name of Mari Pearl, who was formerly a band leader, made famous by his recording of the Sheik of Araby, uh, was deciding that he was going to also add on a donut shop across the way. And that would have spelled disaster for the partners. So they found out who the, the architect was that was going to do this for Mari. They beat him to the punch. They hired the architect, a guy by the name of Bernard Healy. Bernard comes in, takes a look at this little stucco shop that says <laughs> open kettle. He says, you guys aren't doing yourself much of a favor. He said, you know, basically, they don't know what's being sold inside. It's delicious. The product's great. Your coffee's outstanding. Uh, what you really need to do is rip it down, put in a new California-style fishbowl effect, all glass, 
open up the kitchen, let people see you making the, the donuts. And my God, the name, Open Kettle, no one knows what that means. Let's see. Let's see what kind of new name we can come up with. And they're sitting around in a brainstorming session. He says, what do you do with a chicken? You pluck a chicken. What do you do with a donut? You dunk a donut, my father said. <laughs> That's it. That's the name. And it happened to be in those years in the in the late 40s, a, a very famous comedian by the name of Red Skelton had made yeah. famous this comedic bit of the etiquette around dunking a donut in a cup of coffee. And they ripped the store down. And in 1950, the $1,500 a week um, open kettle got rebranded, rebadged, new name, beautiful new style, looked substantial, different than the, all other donut shops of its time and era and reopened as a $5,000 a week Dunkin' Donut shop in its second birth. And we were off and running in the foundation of an empire to come. Wow. And when, when he did that, um, so he went to, to the one shop, did he still do the, the trucks or did he stop doing the trucks completely at that point? Slowly but surely the trucks got unionized and then he went into a whole bunch of other businesses. In fact, the business that I took over in 1963, after I came out of the Army and uh, military and business school, was called Universal Food Systems. It was eight small businesses. He was in the truck business. He had cafeterias, vending machines, uh, part ownership in a, in a pizza parlor, uh, a, a pizza chain, a couple of stores, uh, delicatessen, um, pancake houses, hamburger store chain. I mean, it was eight little businesses called Universal Food System, a portfolio of businesses. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of, when you hear that story, um, you know, the donuts were are just, were so successful. Do you think, did, did the diversity, did that, you know, um, slow him down a little bit? Or, you know, what made him then, did he keep the diversity after, or did he then just focus again on the donuts? Uh, he, I, I, <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> fundamentally, what happened is the partnership broke up. And uh, my uncle and my father didn't get along. In 1955, my father bought my uncle out for the then book value of the business. And what did my uncle do? He took the cash mm. and started a competitive donut chain, not encumbered by all these other businesses. And the reason I, at 25, uh, got the assignment uh, was basically to try to strain it out. That business was growing larger. The Mr. Donut business was overtaking Duncan. There were problems. A business can, can a small business can die from starvation, not enough resources, not the mm-hmm. right people. It also can die of indigestion. Mm-hmm. And that was my hunch in business school. And w- when I took the business over, that was, in fact, what I did. I, I unencumbered all the businesses, took the diamond in the rough, which was the donut, Dunkin' Donut chain, polished that up, standardized the menu, standardized the, the design, it, it lost its way, and basically divested uh, us of all of the businesses. And from 1963 to 1968, we had tremendous success and ultimately ended up going public. The $100,000 pre-tax profit, the biz- profits had stagnated with this portfolio of businesses, was now running with a very focused direction, a very focused strategy to something on the order of a uh, of $800,000 and we became a publicly owned company and and we were off and running for a great five-year run only to be followed and I'm sure we'll cover that yeah, yeah. And not so successful second five-year run yeah. out of the 35 years I was stewarding the business yeah well I mean isn't that Robert um, we're going to take a break but just a, a quick comment on that um, for our listeners I mean isn't that when you see startups and they, sometimes that happens they diversify too much okay and um and instead of focusing on on what they're really good at, they they you know try to their expansion strategy is on diversity and 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 sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So it sounds like in this strategy, um, it probably wasn't the best thing. But we're going to talk about that when we get back. What happened exactly when you took over? And we're going to take a short break. And for our listeners, we're speaking with Robert Rosenberg, and he served as the chief executive officer of 
Dunkin' Donuts from 1963 until his retirement in 1998. And under his leadership, the company grew from a regional family business to one of America's best known and loved brands. And he's just written a book that I've read, and it's it's a great book. I urge everybody to read it. Um, it's called Around the Corner to Around the World, a dozen lessons I learned running Dunkin' Donuts. And it just came out on October 13th, and it will be available. Uh, it is available on Amazon. And if you'd like to connect with Robert, he's on LinkedIn under Robert Rosenberg, 999-6A67. So please reach out to him. And this show is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda conducts virtual and live training, conferences, internet radio programs, podcasts, market research, and white papers. Cinda is one of the fastest growing nonprofit digital and local search networks in Europe with members worldwide. For more information on Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Tune into Unstoppable You with Christine Patton and find out what's holding you back from realizing your full potential and capability. You were designed for greatness more than you know. Each week, you'll learn how the patterns of empowerment, resilience, and passion can change your life and your world. It's about you, because you are your business. Listen for Unstoppable You, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we are talking with Robert Rosenberg. And he served as chief executive officer of Dunkin' Donuts from 1963 till his retirement in 1998. And under his leadership, um, the company grew from a regional family business to one of America's best known and loved brands. Now, he's just written a book called Around the Corner to Around the World, A Dozen Lessons I Learned Running Dunkin' Donuts. And it was released um, October 13th. Great book. I urge you to read it. A lot of lessons to be learned in that book. And um, Robert, we're learning lessons now. So, I mean, the story you just gave us on on um, you know, your father starting the business and, and uh, where it came from, it's just amazing to think, you know, we think about startups today and, and they go through phases from seed to funding. And, you know, those, you know, years ago, it was just get an idea and make it work. But um, just like all startups, sometimes you run into a little to challenges and you took over. So 
just what was the first thing you thought when you took over? Because you had taken over where your father had diversified a lot and you wanted to focus back onto the main product. What was the first thing you did? Well, there were a number of things that I, I had to cope with it at the time. Uh, my dad had tried to sell the business, actually. Yes, he always wanted to be a millionaire after taxes. And uh, unfortunately, the business didn't warrant that. He had put in charge a, an executive vice president to run the business on a day-to-day basis. And unfortunately, he was more of a tacticianer than a, a strategist. And the first thing that the team and I did is, is we caucused and we decided uh, on strategy, on the right strategy for the business. Uh, luckily, while I was in my second year of business school, I had a, a course on the language and the importance of picking the right aiming point, what you wanted to be as a company, what um, uh, that was sort of a mission, uh, what was the purpose of the business, uh, what were your objectives, things that you quantitatively wanted to have, and what four or five strategic levers you're likely to pull or have to pull to bridge scarce resources to the achievement of those objectives. We were firm believers that all, no matter whether you're a United States government or any government for that, that matter, or family, any entity, uh, doesn't have limitless resources. You have to be very careful mm-hmm. about which levers you're going to put your time and attention to. And no group of people, organization, can pull, in our view, any more than four to six levers at any one time. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we set ourselves out to do. And we basically decided we were no longer going to be a portfolio of businesses. We were going to focus on a 20-seat donut shop with a certain menu, and we were going to be the best in the world at that. We are, Our quality would be unsurpassed. We wanted to thrill customers. We realized in that capacity, now talking about the 60s and 70s, that there really was no operation that made coffee as its centerpiece part of its menu that's not true today but back then we were you know really a pioneer in that and that that was the direction we were going to to head and slowly but surely through the help of some board members who had come on board for the company when we became public we divested ourselves of all the other businesses and we had transformed ourselves from universal food systems to dunkin donuts nothing else nothing more <laughs> and that carried us for a, a good five years. And, and as I said, uh, uh, profits soared. Mm-hmm. And so that was your aiming point. Your aiming point then was get rid of the portfolio, just uh, your donuts, um, uh, uh, coffee shop, 20 seats. Um, and, and that was a real focus. So, you know, you talked about these levers. What were some of the levers that you pulled on that or pushed? First one was distribution. Where were we going to go? We would not take a license, unlike uh, previous administration running the business. If they got an inquiry from a particular community, say something in Las Vegas, someone was interested in a franchise, they'd go out there and sell them a franchise and open a store. We decided that we wanted to build our brand. We thought brand had value. Mm -hmm. And we would list and limit our new distribution, new stores, into certain specific, uh, what in those days they called them SMSA areas, statistical sales marketing areas, that we would list in certain media areas where we would focus all of our new distribution and we would exclude others and we wouldn't entertain opening in, the, in those markets. And and I would go out and visit every store because it was a 20-year commitment in terms of leases and pass judgment be, before we would uh, allow a franchisee to, to take a location. Um, mm-hmm. we, we then also began to, to ensure that Individual franchise owners didn't spend their ad dollars on their own. We created a, an advertising campaign to try to build the brand and use it, utilize it in order to, to uh, enhance better standards of operation. And so in each area of the business, we began to firm up, develop policies and procedures um, to be able to, uh, to really drive the business in a superior way, to, to really thrill the consumer with extraordinary products and new product news and retailing. One of the things that's important is the ability to keep it fresh and alive. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the first new products or product extensions we had is we only sold coffee to go in a six-ounce cup. And I hired uh, the marketing guy from, from our competitor, Mr. Donut. He came in and he said, you know, what you really need is a 10-ounce cup to go with it. And, and we introduced that in my first year as, as leader of the company. And it was a huge success. In our business, the key metric that you measure for measuring success 
is same store sales, the sales for the same week a year ago, or the same sales this year mm-hmm. or last year. And because of the, the what we call jumbo job and the introduction of a 10-ounce cup of coffee to go, our same store sales grew to 12% that year. It was wow. a wonderful success. And as a result of that, things started to really go good. I was falling in love with my job. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> uh, franchisees started to say, well, maybe this 25-year-old kid, maybe he's okay. And, <laughs> and some of the executives who were you know, really smack gobbed when they were told that I was going to be taking over, they got shocked when my dad said, look, I'm turning the business over to this young man. Uh, they started to, to fall in line as well and started to you know, really help and become a part of it. And I engaged them and, and involved them in all stages of planning and uh, of how we were going forward in our strategy. And so those were the things that we put in place. It was, it, and I basically sold the industrial feeding business to Canteen Corporation and uh, um, closed down the pancake houses and the, and the hamburger stands allowed the franchisees to, we had like 20 of them, let them go in their own direction and, uh, and slowly but surely focused on this one business in our midst. And, uh, and that, was a, that, that, that was what carried us through the first five years. And as I said, it, it, it was magical. Um, and no mistakes. Unfortunately, success can sometimes breed um, uh, or be stand in the way and be a better mm-hmm. future success. And that, in fact, is what happened. Uh, and and you and 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 this is this is you know uh, you were kind of one of the first you know entrepreneurs and franchises here because you know that was a while ago and and you really it sounds like you tightened up on. On you know the franchises with the, with the distribution where they're going to be, but also with the branding. How did you involve the franchisees in that process? Because that takes a commitment from their side, also, doesn't it? Yeah, they 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 when they join the system, one of the things that's attractive about franchising is the ability for all of us to pool our our resources, mm-hmm. and we charged in those days two percent of gross sales into an advertising fund. We had district meetings and we would meet with the franchisees. And when we un- unveiled our advertising campaign, our for our pledge, we would go out and engage them in terms of the kind of operational support that they required and the amount of money was required. And it was hugely successful. And, and it, franchisees have to be engaged at every step. The contract is interesting. And so they were bound by contract, but that's not how you win the hearts and minds of people. Mm. You basically do it by virtue of collaboration, coordination, and that's in effect what we did. We we really worked with them in a in a way to engage them, and and they in fact were the actors in our commercial for for our first TV advertising pledge. We took franchisees from all over the country and oh, had wow. this pledge that they were going to make their donuts fresh every four hours, and that they that their coffee fresh every 18 minutes and that their cream would never be milk. <laughs> so, <laughs> they had, and we went on television with a $250,000 ad campaign and it was a phenomenal success. But, but we went around the country when we talked to all franchisees, we engaged them one-on-one, uh, myself and the head of marketing at the time for the company. And, and that's how they came on board. It's very much a collaborative activity. Mm. Business is a very social thing. It's a people yeah. business, particularly in a franchise, when dealing with people in business for themselves. And, and you really have to engage people and, and enlist them, ask for their help, ask for their cooperation, ask for their ideas. And, and I think that that's a key element for success, in, particularly in a, in a business that relies on this kind of franchising where someone's in business for themselves, but not by themselves. And Mm. And and, and uh, you, you really need the cooperation and help. And I mean that that getting them involved, of course, is so important because when you when you're talking about that pledge, and when I think of Dunkin' Donuts, um, you know, to me, it, it's also a quality pre- pledge. Um, if I know I get that butternut, you know, one in New Jersey or Rhode Island or Berlin, it's it's always great and always fresh. Um, you know, how, how important was the quality in your whole branding process here? If you're going to specialize in coffee and a donut, you have to make sure that what you do is better than anybody else in the world. And that's what we were committed to. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the coffee alone is 27 pages of specifications. Most people don't realize I mean, it's brewed more richly. It's 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 roasted. It's ground in front of the customers, prepared in front of them. 
uh, and brewed continuously throughout the day, much more richly brewed than most other product quality, uh, other competitive products. Same thing's true. Our donuts a very, very intricate process of making donuts throughout the day, delivered throughout the day to the stores, uh, as well as all other baked goods and snacks now that the stores contain. And it, it was ingrained in me at a very early age. I remember as a kid, my father took me to with the Water Elite Arsenal, which was one of his large industrial feeding accounts, when he was going to a dime a cup for coffee. And the union hall, um, the, the people that worked at the arsenal were very upset. And he basically made the pitch that quality was more important than price. And I think that was baked into the DNA of the, the company right from the get-go, something that we continuously carried out and effectuated to this day. You know, if you're going to be in it, you really have to thrill the customer with uh, with extraordinarily good products consistently. Mm-hmm. Delivered. Yeah, and I mean that 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 is so important. And um, just just a, a a quick question, as you know, because you started as a family businesses, and and then of course you you went to franchise and were in a publicly held. Um, what was probably the most important thing you did in that process? Okay. Um, you know, as you went public and, um, you know, started to grow these franchises, I mean, how, how did you keep the control with that? That was the problem. That was my growing up. But basically the next five years, I started to focus too much, not on the customer, not on the franchisees well-being and their profitability, not on the quality of the product. But I decided that in order, we had grown as a company at 50% compounded. And I got seduced. I remember I'm 30 years mm-hmm. old now sitting on a business that's worth 120 or $150 million in market cap. And I'm focusing now on what is it going to take to keep that going, which was the wrong goal. Growing the earnings at 50% was unsustainable. Had I continued to do that all the way through, I would have been larger than the gross <laughs> domestic product of the country. It was a naive and an unsophisticated look at the, at the business. And the cost of that Uh, I began to do the very same thing my dad had done years before. I started to diversify the company, looked upon myself and the business as a franchising business rather than as a focus business, and Mm -hmm. started to become a part of the seams. Earnings started to to stagnate. Franchisees became disgruntled. And I fundamentally had to have a grow-up moment, realizing my responsibility and what happens when the leader gets the aiming point wrong and how I was leading the company and all the people that were associated with it, employees and franchise owners over the cliff with me. Luckily, I had a, a, a wake-up moment that was mm-hmm. fundamental that allowed me to see before we got too far down the road and able to correct it and never look back after that. But you know, I wish I could have told you I came to the job at 25 fully grown up. That was not the case. <laughs> I, I had it- a sophomore slump of significant <laughs> proportions and had to recover. Luckily, my teammates... And friends help me recover, and a book yeah. recover. And, a book. and and uh, and I mean, but we all go through those. And we're going to take a short break, and um, maybe when we come back, you can just tell us, you know, kind of what you did to to, to turn that back around. Um, but we're going to take a short break now. And for our guests, um, we're speaking with Robert Rosenberg, and he served as the chief executive officer of Dunkin' Donuts from 1963 to 1998. And under his leadership, the company grew from a regional family business to one of America's best known and loved brands. And he's got a book out, a fantastic book that tells the whole story and a lot of business lessons in it um, for all of us. And the book is Around the Corner to Around the World, A Dozen Lessons I Learned Running Dunkin' Donuts. And it's out. It came out on October 13th, and it's on Amazon. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this show is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of the largest nonprofit digital and local search networks in Europe. And if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? 
Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you see a path to exciting opportunities? Are you missing transformation situations in your world? Tune into Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow. Hosted by Jay Allen. We will challenge you to question what is seen as impossible to do in your field. But if done, would be transformative to understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Listen every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and you're listening to us on the Voice America Business Channel. And today we're speaking with Robert Rosenberg, and he served as Chief Executive Officer of Dunkin' Donuts from 1963 to 1998. And he's got a new book on the market. And I urge you to get that book. His book is Around the Corner to Around the World, A Dozen Lessons I Learned Running Dunkin' Donuts. And it was released on October 13th and is available on Amazon. So, um, Robert, this is just so fascinating. And so, you know, uh, you went through these phases. We got, You got redirected. You got that aim. And then... Um, you know, you started to go public, you got big, and um, the brick fe- fell on your head. So <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> it, it basically, uh, grew too fast, grew too aggressively, uh, grew too broadly, lost focus, got the strategy wrong, and um, lost money and got fired, actually. The board said, you know, after a couple of years of... of uh, sort of middling earnings and then a loss. We've had just about enough of you. We'd like you to find your replacement. I suggest that it's not my job. That's your job to find a replacement. But I think we've solved the problem. I think we've had time. We understand what went wrong, what we did wrong, what I did wrong particularly, and we've corrected it. Give me another quarter to see if, in fact, we were on the right track. And, in fact, I left the room, allowed them to discuss my future as uh, perspiration <laughs> beaded on my forehead. And, and, Came back a couple hours later, and luckily they said, okay, we'll give you one more quarter to see if, in fact, you are on the right track. And the fact of the matter is, is that we, we, I believe to my very core that we understood the issues, that we had a team in place that really could fix it. The strength and complementarity of the team was incredible, in my view. Uh, nothing we couldn't solve together as a team. And, and the moment of awakening for me occurred sitting in my living room in the midst of all of this uh, mess. Um, uh, my, my, one of my close friends who I had recruited out of Goldman Sachs to be CFO of the company left because he had lost confidence in my leadership. But it was really a sad time and a tough time. I was reading a book by David Halberstam called The Best and the Brightest. And Halberstam was recounting the, the, um, the administration of the Vietnamese War by the, by the Kennedy and Johnson administrations. And our senior leadership in the country was uh, among Ivy Leaguers, the best and the brightest that the country had to offer. But they were not going into the hamlets and townships where the war was being waged and talking to community leaders about the real issues and about really what was it take to win the hearts and minds of the people. And, and um, Halberstam said that the real fault lie in what he called hubris. Hubris is the Greek word for arrogance. And as I sat in my living room in 1973, I could live it today and sense it, see it, and lightning struck, a transformational moment. I said, oh, my God, Halberstam could be talking just as well about me. Wow. And, and it was then that we as a team, 
we caucused together. We said, you know, uh, you know, I, when we had some franchisees, when things started to go bad, a few of them started a class action lawsuit. I blamed them. Uh, I started to blame other people uh, for, for some of the problems that lay within the business. That, that all changed. We did a 180 shift. As leaders, we get paid to fix the problems. Uh, that's our job. We take responsibility 100-0. We in- apologize for our error of our ways. We invited franchisees in to help fix it. We, we revitalized our board so that mission creep wouldn't occur in the future, that there would be a better forum for which we could be able to do our strategy. And, uh, and, and, and uh, that, that's how we went forward. We created an advisory council to create uh, um, communication up and down the organization. We traveled each of us to 100 stores a year to visit with franchisees. My standard question was, if you had to invest in this franchise, would you do it all over again? Acid test. If the work and effort and the risk was worth it. And if not, why not? And second, if you were the CEO of this company, what would you do differently? So fundamentally, we shifted. I, in particular, shifted, became much more humble, um, mm-hmm. and much more open to listen than to talk. Um, and, and the team followed suit. And quite truthfully, for the next uh, four eras of five years, apparently, each of the next 20 years, we never looked back. We had learned our lesson. Our planning was crisper. Our policies were better. Our processes were smarter. Uh, we were much more thorough in terms of how we went about our business. And the key element I find, I synthesize the book in the six areas through the lens of what the four things that a, a CEO is responsible for. One is, is fundamentally to steward strategy. Two is to organize, recruit, and retain people to implement the strategy. Three, communicate to align all people around the strategy. And four is to handle crisis, uh, is yeah. to be in charge when crisis occurs, because it always does occur. Life is lumpy, I tell my children, and business life is very lumpy. Yeah. And, and I mean, it sounds like in this process, you know, communication and trust played a really important role in trying to get this back. Is that, is that true? Is that what I'm hearing from you? Absolutely. I'm, I mean, I'm a firm believer that it, it, trust exists in all successful relationships and is absent in almost every unsuccessful relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And the trust goes not only to your staff and, and not, to yourself, but also to your consumers. They have to build trust, and trust to me is, is really relied, as I outline in the book, on four things. Sincerity, public and private conversations are the same. Competence, that's not ever making a mistake. People make mistakes, but you can live up to the standards of the job. And in the case of a CEO, you basically make promises in terms of earnings and returns and quality and things. And you may make some tactical errors along the way, but overall, you have to be judged on your ability to deliver the third is care. You really care for people, not as transactions, but sincerely for their identity and their well-being. And the fourth is reliability, the ability to, you make promises, you keep your promises, and if you can't keep your promises, you acknowledge them, you go back and you try to make new conditions and satisfaction with people to do it. And that's the lessons I learned about trust. Trust is absolutely essential in all human relationships. And as I said earlier, you know, Business is a social enterprise. It is, it is about a group of people getting together to try to provide a service or goods that are better than what else exists in the marketplace. And that's, in effect, what your mission and purpose is in running a business. And those are incredible lessons. And and Robert, I'm thinking I'm thinking about today. I mean, you know, you 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 know, was there one thing that stood out from you that you really learned in when you were in this crisis management process? One particular thing that stood out among all the others. There are a number. I mean, you know, basically, it's thirty-five years is a long time to run a business. Mm. It's a time for a lot of setbacks and some successes, and a lot of lessons along the way. So there's different ones for different eras and different times. So there are there are critical things. So it's not any one. I would mm-hmm. say persistence is extraordinarily important. You have to be able to persevere. Uh, very few people can walk across the lake stone to stone without falling <laughs> in. Clearly, I wasn't one of them. And, and the ability to be able to pick yourself up and continue on. And what drives that, I think, is a love of the job and a, and a love yeah. of the business. I love the business and, and I loved what I was doing. And they say, you know, if you really love what you do, you never really work a day in your life. And I could say that was true of me. I loved mm-hmm. it. And, and, um, so, so persistence is one. I think the importance of, of, of leadership is another. 
whether it's a family, a business, a country, if there's a character default or if the, if the leader is aiming at the wrong spot with the wrong objectives and the wrong strategy, you pull a lot of people behind you and a lot of misery ensues. So you have to start with the right leader. You can't fix it from the bottom. You can't fix it from the middle. The only way you can really change it is, is, uh, is at the top yeah. and mentorship. So those are some of the lessons that, that mm-hmm. I hear. And mm-hmm. pretty much you got to be clear, I think, about your purpose, both as a person and as a business. You've got to be crisp, and generally that lies beyond yourself. It isn't about you, and it's not about money. It really is providing value to people, and that's the way to, to have a long, live career and, and hopefully a long, live, and successful life. Yeah, and, and as a leader, in your book also, there was one um, sentence that stuck out to me, and you talk about as an entrepreneur um, the importance of, of striking the balance between exploration and experimentation. Um, I, 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 that, that sentence stood out to me. Could you kind of um, expand on what you that, that what is meant? That is part of the learning that my dad went through. He, he and his team were great. At, at, at exploration, they had a business they were exploring, <laughs> and they and they didn't exploit the diamond mm-hmm. in the rough. They had lost confidence in the donut shop business, uh, or at least the guy that ran the business on a day to day basis, executive vice president. When I had, when I got there in 1963, the last 26 stores that opened up were hugely different in size and menu. Some of them served breakfast, lunch, hamburgers, hot dogs. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was a mess, and and uh, and and basically. Um, they, they, all I did then was basically go back and and uh, and stop experimenting because it was far more than we could handle. That was the indigestion we were suffering from, and exploit the diamond in the rough, mm. brush it up, and say. And then I, after five years of success, lost perspective on that and began to do the same thing all over again, becoming a franchise yeah. business. And that's when I learned that lesson. And. I was doing the same thing by opening up fish and chips chain, exploring with IBM learning centers for remedial learning for kids, the Hack Corporation of America with yeah. immense haberdashery stores. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was off in a thousand directions and yeah. and basically did the did the same thing again. Luckily, <laughs> after the second <laughs> time, I didn't make the mistake yeah. of that too much. But 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 that that was that's the whole point of yeah. that in the book about the balance that's the art of management the art of management of getting that balance right in terms of what can the organization absorb what can you do how much is too much what's right and that's and that's 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 how we went about so we're, we're, we're getting towards the end of the show, and, and I just, um, I, your book, uh, once again, for our audience, is so full of so fantastic, not just business lessons, but leadership lessons. And, and um, just a word to our audience, you know, we're in turbulent times right now. Um, there's a lot of businesses suffering, a lot of SMEs, SMBs, um, as well as large businesses Um you have so much experience o- over the time that you were CEO of uh, Dunkin' Donuts. If you had one message to those other leaders, those other CEOs out there today in these turbulent times, um, what would your message be to them? Uh, basically, running through a crisis is, is, is the same four functions that I outlined before, but much more intensely. A small team of people uh, organized around, for example, response to the pandemic to identify the problem and the responses. The people that are most uh, able and capable of being able to f- identify what the issue is and to fix it and allow the rest of the organization to, to execute the business on a day-to-day basis and communicate like crazy because people are concerned. Their livelihoods are at stake. They have fear. Uh, and it's up to the to the leader, really, basically, and his team to be able to to, to be authentic, identify what the issues are that they face, what steps that we're developing as a team to respond to the crisis and put into effect and, and over-communicate and, and be very aware of the concerns and take care of the team uh, and the people that are you're responsible for over and over again. So it's, it's a lot of, huh, mm. you know, yeah. how do you strategize, how do you organize, how do you communicate? And in time of a crisis, it's, it really is... Uh, it, it really is uh, just a, a lot more of, of what you would normally do, but much more intensely. And, yes. and it does require kind of unique responses. This pandemic yes. is, 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 yeah. a, is a real test for all leadership today. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been so informative. And, um, you know, um, for, for our listeners, please do read the book um, Around the Corner to Around the World, A Dozen Lessons I Learned Running Dunkin' Donuts. Um, great leadership lessons in there. Um, it's on Amazon. It was released on October 13th. And um, last fun fact, okay, I think you answered it already, but I want to do a double check, okay, Robert. So what's your favorite? Is the jelly stick your favorite or do you have another favorite? <laughs> I have. I mean, I love I love the product. I love I- yeah. I love jelly sticks. I love Bavarian cream. I like coffee rolls. Um, my morning starts every morning with an iced coffee, a Dunkin' Donut iced coffee, which I find absolutely delicious. Most people don't realize that iced coffee was never a product that was sold around the United States, only in Rhode Island, until we <laughs> until we uncovered it and the franchisees started selling. They became such a huge seller, and and, and I think yeah. a lot more people uh, on the run are going to be drawn to to colder beverages in, yeah, in the yeah. future. And I think well, it's done that. Uh, yeah, and I think it's great. And as a as a Rhode Islander, I have to I have to go with the iced coffee because I I only drink iced coffee, not hot coffee. So thank you so much for um, being with us today. It's been absolutely a lot of fun, and for our listeners, and um, really informative. We've been listening to Robert Rosenberg, who served as Chief Executive Officer of Dunkin' Donuts from 1963 to 1998. Um, his book, once again, Around the Corner to Around the World: A Dozen Lessons I Learned Running Dunkin' Donuts. Um, it's on. Amazon now. It was released on October 13th. If you'd like to reach out to Robert, he's on LinkedIn under Robert Rosenberg and it's 9996A67. And if you have questions for me, you can contact me, Kimberly Lewis at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And the show has also been brought to you by Cinda, uh, one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital and local search networks. Please go to www.cinda.org for more information. And please tune in to us every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Pacific time. And if you happen to miss the show, don't worry about it because we're on every major podcast platform out there. So once again, thank you, Robert. Thank you, listeners. And please tune in to us again next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.